Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. Acts chapter 27, we're going to read um, the first 12 verses of Acts chapter 27. As I said, then we're going to make, I'm going to make a few comments before we celebrate communion together. Acts 27, verse number 1. And when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a, uh, in a ship of uh, Adramidium, uh, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. And the next day we put in at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea, across the co along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra at Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty of Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salomon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot's and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance <clears throat> that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please direct your Holy Spirit to watch over your word this morning to accomplish in these next few minutes, God, the good purposes that you desire for us. God, prevent us from becoming distracted. Enable us to hear what you're saying to us. Anoint me, God, to preach and prepare us to welcome Jesus Christ into our lives as we receive the elements which represent his body and his blood this morning. We ask all of this in his name and for your glory. And everyone said amen. Amen. Paul's appeal to Caesar, which we've already talked about, Paul's appeal to Caesar made it necessary for him to go to Rome in order to appear before Caesar. And eventually, arrangements, that's what we read about this morning, eventually arrangements were made for him to sail uh, to Italy. And I think that it's worth pointing out this morning that these arrangements, the arrangements that were made were made outside of Paul's control. In other words, he didn't make arrangements for himself, arrangements for it. This is the way Luke says. Luke says, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy. In other words, um, it was decided for them by someone else that they would sail for Italy. How I many of the arrangements were prob probably made by Festus, right? He decided when they would sail uh, to, to Italy. Um, Paul had, had made the appeal that would send him to Rome, but he didn't get to choose how he got to Rome, and he didn't get to choose when he would he would get there. And to me, that seems significant because how many knows 
there are always a lot of variables in our lives that we cannot control. I mean, there's a lot of things in our life that we just simply cannot control. We, um, we, can't, we can't control our spouse. We can't control our uh, boss. We can't control our coworkers. Can we? we can't control our neighbors. We can't control our friends. Uh, we can't control uh, our family members. In fact, here's the thing. No matter how important uh, or powerful you become, how many knows there will always be other people in your life making decisions that will affect you and you can't do anything about it because you can't control them. And that was the situation uh, that Paul was in. He, he had decided he had appealed to Rome, so he had to go to Rome, but, but he didn't get to decide when he was going to go. He didn't get to decide how he was going uh, to get there. And likewise, uh, we as well, there's a lot of things, decisions that we can make, but making that decision doesn't mean that we're in control of everything that happens in our life. There's a lot of things that happen in our life that we just can't control, that we have no control over. The only thing that you can do is that you can learn to trust in the Lord. You can just learn to trust in the Lord. This is what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. In other words, don't make your own plans. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. And in all of your ways, acknowledge Him. The NIV translates that phrase this way. Uh, in all of your ways, submit to Him in everything. Submit to Him in everything. And then he will make straight your paths. Or the King James puts it this way. Or, and then he will direct your paths. So the only thing that you can, there's a lot of things you cannot control in your life, but you can learn to trust in the Lord. And that when you submit your life to him, when you submit yourself to his will, then you can trust that he's going to direct your, he's going to direct your paths. And that's precisely what Paul does uh, in this chapter as well. He had committed himself to the Lord. He knew that he was going to go to Rome. Didn't, uh, as we said, he didn't know exactly how that was going to happen. He had appealed now to Rome. That was the trigger. That was the key that was going to send him to Rome. But he still didn't get to plan how that was going to happen or when it was going to take place. But he had committed himself to the will of God and now he was content to just trust in God's timing and trust in God's method. And therefore, he didn't feel compelled to try to manage every detail of his life. He was confident that God was going to direct his path. God was going to take care of it. And how many knows that turning over that kind of control, uh, that can feel scary in your life, doesn't it? Just turning over and losing control of your life and turning it over, turning that control over can feel scary because it feels like that you're putting your life and your future into someone else's hands, someone you can't control, circumstances you, you can't control. It feels like you're just turning your life over, turning your future over to somebody, someone, something that you cannot control. And in Paul's case, uh, it was the centurion, Julius. Julius, the Bible says um, that Julius was a centurion of the Augustan cohort. And Paul, this is what Luke says, Paul was delivered over to him. That Paul was a prisoner, remember? And so this was a, 
prisoner exchange. And a centurion that was in charge of a prisoner in those days was personally responsible for the safety, the welfare of that prisoner. And so Paul, along with some other prisoners, was delivered over to Julius. That is, he was turned over to him. He was placed in his care. He was put under his command. Julius was responsible for Paul's life during the journey to uh, Rome. And, and here's the problem with that. Julius is just a man, right? And uh, men don't always listen. Isn't that right, ladies? Men don't. I expected a bigger amen on that. Julius was just a man. Men don't always listen. And so here's the thing. Julius is going to make some mistakes uh, along the way. Julius uh, will make some mistakes, as we'll see. And as a result, Paul and the other prisoners are going to suffer. And sometimes they're going to be in danger uh, because Julius is in charge and he's in command. He's going to make some bad decisions Paul is, at least to that extent, at his mercy because he's Paul's not in control. Somebody else is in control. And so Julius is going to make some mistakes. Paul is going to suffer. He's sometimes going to be in danger. But here's the thing. Paul's destination is never in doubt. He's going to get to Rome because that's what God has said. And, and Paul has given himself over to the will of God um, so how he gets there, the timing in which he gets there, Paul can't control. Paul has just said, I appeal to Caesar, I know I'm going to get to Rome. So Paul is sometimes in danger, sometimes in great difficulty. He will sometimes suffer, but his destination is never in doubt because he trusts in the Lord. And here's the reason for that is because Paul is actually, how many knows Paul is actually in God's hands? He's not just simply in Julius's care. He's actually in God's hands. It's true that Julius has a certain amount of authority over Paul, um, but, it, but it's only so much that God grants to Julius. It's only so much that God gives to Julius. Moreover, Julius is actually in God's command. Maybe not willingly, maybe not even knowingly, but sovereignly, Julius is under the command of God. Therefore, Julius cannot do anything that will not ultimately serve God's purpose for Paul. And Paul will arrive in Rome. But because of that, because Paul knows that he's in God's hands, Paul doesn't have to be in control because he knows God's in control. And it's hard not to be in control, isn't it? Paul says, I don't have to be in control because God's uh, in control. I can trust in the Lord because I've committed my life to, to God, committed myself to his purpose for, uh, for me. And here's the thing, that ought to be the normal Christian experience. That ought to be the normal Christian experience. Sure, there are, there are many things that we cannot control a lot of things that happen to us that we have no authority over. And sometimes, sometimes we're at the mercy of choices that we, that we don't make. Sometimes we're at the mercy of circumstances that we don't create. But here's the thing. If we submit to God, then we can have confidence in his care and know that he's in control and that he's going to get us safely to our destination. However, that tends not to be the normal 
Christian experience. Um, at least it's not always the way that I <laughs> have responded to life. I admit, I try, sometimes I try too hard to set my own course. Um, I admit, sometimes I don't always react well when my life takes a turn that, I'll, that I'm not expecting uh, my life to take. I don't think that I'm that much different than you guys, am I? You ever felt that way before you try to control your own life, you try to manage or manipulate, even worse, manipulate people or the situation around you because you think it should happen this way, it should happen on this timetable, and so I want it to happen like this, I want it to be like this. So you try to control things, and when things are out of your control, you don't respond well, you get stressed out, or you get angry because things are not going the way that you think that they ought to go. Well, there's a reason for all of this, and it's quite simple, actually, is that we, that we sometimes fail to put God in complete control of our life. We fail to put Him in complete control. There was a bumper sticker that was popular many years ago um, that said, God is my co-pilot. Do you remember that? Uh, it was a bumper sticker that said, God is my co-pilot. You can still see the saying. I don't see it on many bumpers anymore, but you can still see the saying around some today. And the intention of that bumper sticker is good, but the application is flawed. There's a problem with the application of that sentiment. Um, that, that is, in fact, how uh, we sometimes see God's role in our life as a co-pilot, as a second set of hands that can take the wheel when it becomes necessary in our life. When, we, when, we, when we're out of control, we feel like we're out of control. Um, he, he's sometimes, in our life, he is sometimes somebody that we consult, but he's not always in command of our life. We, we respect his advice. Um, we believe it's always good advice, but we may choose to take his advice or we may choose not to take his advice if, if there's some other alternative that seems good or seems better to us. Actually, the average Christian is, has more in common with Julius than with Paul. We have more in common with Julius. The Bible says that after many days of difficult travel um, and because now it was a, diff a difficult and a dangerous season to be sailing, that Paul um, addressed his company and he said that he was concerned. He advised them that they continue that they would continue at their peril. In fact, here's what he said. I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the Bible says the centurion paid more attention. Did you notice that when we're reading that? The centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than what Paul had said. And so what did he do? He continued with his own plans. He made his own choice and his own decision. See, Paul's, Paul's warning would, be, would prove to be true. And we'll see that over the next, uh, this chapter and the next chapter as well. Paul's warning would prove to be true. And, and that doesn't surprise us, does it? Because, I mean, we're talking about Paul, right? <laughs> Who, who wrote uh, most of, well, almost most of the New Testament. In fact, if we were there and Paul had advised that and said, you know, hey, I perceive this is a bad idea. We shouldn't move forward right now. Then if we were there, we probably would have said, hey, you know, he's the apostle Paul. You should probably listen to him. <laughs> he like hears from God <laughs> and he writes, you know, the inspired words from, from God. So he's the apostle Paul. You should probably take his advice 
Um, and yet, listen, here's the thing. And yet sometimes we don't take his advice, do we? Sometimes we don't take his advice, even though, listen, here's a, the amazing thing, even though we know is actually more than just good advice. We know that it's God's word and that it's truth. Julius didn't despise Paul. Julius didn't dismiss Paul out of hand. In fact, the Bible says that he actually treated him how? Kindly. He was kind uh, to Paul. However, when it came to making decisions about their journey, when it came to making decisions about the ship, it was clear Julius was in charge and he cared more. He paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than he paid to Paul. And ironically, I'm afraid that that describes a lot of Christians. It describes me sometimes. It describes us. Um, some Christians, in fact, I believe you know, they have invited Jesus into their life. And uh, a lot of Christians treat him with uh, deference and with respect. However, uh, many Christians hold on to the final decision about the direction for their life. Say, so I'll listen, I'll read God's word, I'll listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say, but I'm going to make the final decision about the direction of my life. They want, what they want is they want to stay in control of their life and have the final choice. They may care about God's word, but they care more about some other opinion or some alternate in their life. And it all depends on, here's what it depends on, it all depends on how we answer these questions. Who is the pilot? Who is the owner of my life? Who is the pilot? Who is the owner? What is the pilot? The pilot is the one who is responsible for the ship. So the question is, who's in control of my life? Who's going to be in control of my life? The question about the owner is, to whom am I responsible for? Who owns this ship? Who do I have to, if we wreck this ship, who do I have to pay? Who do I have to give an answer to? And so when we ask, who is the owner? We're asking, who, to whom will I give an account for my life? Who's in charge of my life? And to whom will I have to give an account of my life? And here's the problem if, if your answer to either of those questions is me, then, then you're going to have problems in your life. Reality is that most unbelievers, well, I'll, I'll say all unbelievers, uh, all unbelievers answer both of those questions. Who's the pilot? Who's, who's in charge of my life? They say, me. I'm in charge of my life. Who is the owner of my life? Unbelievers say, me. I'm the owner of my life. So all unbelievers answer both of those questions, me. I'm, I will do what I think is best because it's my life and I don't have to answer to anyone. Now, I mean, would agree that pretty adequately or accurately represents the attitude of most unbelievers. It's my life. I'll do whatever I want because I don't have to answer to anybody else, right? Some Christians also feel that way, but most Christians have a variation of that. They might say, well, no, God, God is the pilot 
of my life. God's in control of my life, but it's still, it's my life. (laughs) I'm going to do what I want to do with my life, and God's responsibility is to help me do whatever I want to do in my life. So whatever I make up my mind I'm going to do, then God, I want you to help me do whatever I decide I'm going to do with my life, because it's my life. But I need your help, God. Please help me to do what I want to do with my life. Other Christians turn it around and they make a similar, uh, or or, uh, the same error, but they, they mix it up. They say, well, no, God owns my life. One day I'll stand before God, give an account um, of my life to God, but I'm responsible for my life. And so they divert into legalism and they say, I'm responsible. It's all up to me to do everything that God has required of me to do. And so they read God's word and they see what God expects of their life and they say, okay, I've got to do this myself and make this happen because I'm responsible for my life, but I'm going to stand before God one day. How many knows both of them have it mixed up? Because the answer to both questions for the believer ought to be, God owns my life. And God is in control of my life. God owns my life. The, uh, the true Christian attitude is this. If I, if I give my life to God, He owns my life. It's His life. One day I'll stand before Him and give an account of my life. But I can't do what God wants me to do in my own power and through my own ability. God has to accomplish it in me and through me. And you see, and for Paul, that was his answer. He was, who is the pilot? He would say, the Holy Spirit, God's in control of my life. I'm not in control. He'd given up control of his life. Who, who is, who is the owner? God's the owner of my life. He's the one I'm responsible to. He's the one I'm accountable to. And one day I'll stand before him, which makes it so much Uh, that much more important that I say, God, I can't do it through my own power and my own ability. I'm going to trust in you and give my life up completely to you so that you can finish, so that you can accomplish, so that you can do in my life everything that you desire to do in me and through me. So here's my prayer this morning. My prayer is, is that today each one of us would make God the pilot and the owner of our life. And, and if, you've, if you've got that mixed up in any other way, then I pray that as we celebrate communion today, this will be your opportunity to, to get it in proper perspective. And there's no better, no better way than communion to, to reflect on the fact that this is something that we can't do. It's something that God... It's some, communion, the elements of communion are elements that we have to receive by faith. Nothing we can do, we just receive them. Jesus Christ has already done all of the work. And so when we receive the bread, when we receive uh, the cup, we're acknowledging, hey, this is not anything that I've done. It's nothing I can accomplish. It's just something that I have to passively receive from God, something he's done for me. So I'm going to ask our um, ushers, our guys are going to help us with communion this morning if they'll prepare themselves. Mike, if you'll come to the, um, if you'll come to the keyboard this morning, Pastor Belinda. Yeah, and Natalie's going to come. You're going to sing Natalie during as they pass out communion. But Mike, I want you to play something real quick. 
<clears throat> every head bowed and every eyes closed. Guys, you can come ahead. Pastor Blinden, if you'll go ahead and begin to give them these elements this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ, never given control of your life to Him, then this is your opportunity today. Before we receive communion, say, Lord, I come to you and I want to give my life completely to you. Surrender control over to you. Just you this morning and God's dealing with your heart. I want you to slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray with me today? I recognize my need to give my life over completely to Jesus Christ. Surrender control over to him and trust in him. Slip up your hand and I'll pray with you this morning. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, God, for these elements of communion that we're about to receive in just one moment. I pray that, God, as we receive them this morning, that, God, we will establish in our hearts today that you are the owner and the pilot of our life. You're the one that's responsible for this life. You're the one that created us. And so, God, we want you to accomplish in us, through us, all that you desire to do. And, Father, we'll give you thanks. And the Lord will give you praise for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now these gentlemen are going to go out. They're going to begin to distribute these elements to you. Natalie's going to come and is going to sing while they do that as you prepare your hearts to celebrate communion together. Aren't you thankful for that? In spite of our sins, in spite of our failures, God loved us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And that's what we commemorate as we celebrate communion together and we receive unto ourselves again the body, the blood of Jesus Christ to give us life, to give us strength. And so, as you hold that piece of bread in your hand this morning, I'd like for us to go to the Lord and let's give God thanks for what it represents. It represents the body of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this bread that represents the body of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful that your word tells us that it is in his body that he has made a way for us to approach you, God, with confidence and assurance that, Lord, we can be sons and daughters of God because we have been adopted into the family through Jesus Christ. We thank you for that sacrifice that has made that possible for us. And as we receive this bread this morning, we pray that, God, you would nourish us spiritually, strengthen us, God, in our inner man, in our inner woman. And, Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you partake of the bread?
And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that does wash us clean from all impurity, from all unrighteousness. And so let's give God thanks for this cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this cup that it represents the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Your word tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We're thankful that Jesus Christ shed his blood for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that, Lord, we might be received unto you. And now we receive this cup with thanksgiving and with gratitude. We ask that, God, you would wash us, that, Lord, you would cleanse us, and that, Father, you would enable us, God, to honor you in every area of our life, that, Lord, we are no longer in control of our own lives, but that we are putting our trust completely in you. And Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you partake of the cup? Hallelujah. Now would you stand to your feet, lift your hands to the Lord, and would you right where you're at in your own way, would you just say thank you to him? Lord, we bless you and we praise you. We thank you, God, for your grace and for your goodness. We thank you that you are a good, good father to us. We thank you that, Lord, you're in control of our lives. Teach us, God, to trust you, Lord. No matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on in our life, Lord, we pray that you'll help us, God, to give over control to you so that, Lord, we know that we're in your care and we're in your protection, Father. And God, will be careful to glorify you, to live our lives in such a way that it would honor you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play App Store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.